Welcome to the Theory of DFS podcast. I'm Jordan Cooper, the co-author of the Theory of Daily Fantasy Sports. We got a new advanced course out, the Theory of Daily Fantasy Sports for advanced players, 10 chapters, 6 hours of audio, plus all the the, the Excel tools for, uh, you know, choosing lineups, analyzing lineups, analyzing the slate, duplication, uh, contest analysis, Anything that you need, as long as you have Excel, uh, you get you get these uh, open to use. You download them, as well as the audio. Go pick it up. Theoryofdfs.com. Join with me, as as usual, week to week during the NFL season. It's Neil Orfield from Stochastic, the High Stakes DFS podcast. On the contrary, various other the showdown videos. Very, very busy. And uh, coming off a uh, week four, where... Uh, I did I did extremely well in, in cash games, but uh, minus 45% in GPPs. But if, if I'm winning 99% of my head-to-heads, I, like I literally, on DK, lost one head-to-head, for a $5 head-to-head out of all my head-to-heads. Wow. And, and on FanDuel, I lost six head-to-heads, and four of them were to the same person. So like, and remember, I play like 100 to 200 head-to-heads, as well as all the double-ups and everything like that. So like that went extremely well. Uh, props thirteen and five so far. I got two more out on Monday night. That's going well. Uh, GPP lineups uh, didn't 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 really get there. Didn't didn't really didn't really you did better than I did. <laughs> Basically, I, I I tweeted this uh, uh, yesterday. I said if you would have went into the slate, Neil, and thought it was a, a Lion Seahawks showdown slate. And just said, uh, how do I build lineups for a showdown slate for that game? You probably did really well. Yep. I mean, that was all of the top lineups are just a stack of that game. And I, I'm really disappointed because so on Wednesday, I do the the first look show with Lafayette, or not first look, the first ownership look show with Lafayette. And we had Geno Smith at like 4% ownership. And I was like, that's pretty interesting to me at a, at a, in a matchup against the Lions, like this game could be a shootout, has a high implied total. You know, both of these are bad defenses. That does interest me. And then by Saturday, it was up to like 8% projected ownership. And I was like, that's just too high for me. I can't get up to 8% ownership. So I'm going to be under the field there. And of course, the game went completely off. So uh, yeah, did not make much of my money back. No, I pointed it out on, on, on the Game Theory show, as well as on the Blitz show that I filled in for, that 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 at that ownership, like, the concept of court that when you have the levers, right? We always talk. I I, I talk about the levers: projection, yeah. leverage, and correlation. They all work in tandem with one another. Okay, so if a play like you have to consider ownership as combinations of players rather than individual player ownership, and think not just in the diversification of your portfolio over the field, under the field, stuff like that. That if you're playing a chalk piece. The more correlation you're adding, like, even if it's not chalk, let's just say a player in general. If we took Kyle Pitts, if Kyle Pitts had a 40-point game, it's very hard for Mariota to also have a bad game unless he got injured and gotten replaced, right? Yeah. It's If Mariota had 35 points, it's very hard to imagine that, like, Drake London is sitting there with three, right? It's like, the that's what correlation is, so that... If you were to play Pitts by himself, let's say not even let, not, let's not even say Pitts. Let's 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 pick a, a, a extremely low owned player, like an absurdly low owned player. 
I'm going to go go down to even like your exposures, like Will Disley. Will Disley. Well, now that's that's in a chalkier game. So let's 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 take Ian Thomas. Okay, he was the lowest exposed player in when in, in your in your lineup set only because I have it in front of me. He was 0.4% owned. Okay, he's $2,700. Let's just say, exaggeration purposes, he scored like Hawkinson did, 42 points. Well, he's only in 0.4% of lineups. There are about 236,000 lineups in the contest, in the milli, right? This would be even less for smaller field, right? 0.04%. That's 944 lineups or a point oh yeah, 0.4%, right? So that's, yeah, 944 lineups that you're, so basically you're competing against the other 944 lineups with Ian Thomas in it. Mm-hmm. Like you've eliminated like 235,000 lineups. If he has a, like a ceiling result, you probably don't even need him to win because now you still have to get the eight other players in your lineup around him. Correct. But- True. If Ian Thomas has 42 points, most probably Baker Mayfield did pretty well. I mean, like, like it's it's quite probable, right? That okay, so now we go down. Let's let's go to uh uh Baker Mayfield's ownership. 1.6%. Okay. If we don't figure in the core even in the correlation that obviously Ian Thomas is more likely to be in Baker Mayfield lineups, we we multiply Right, we're going to multiply one point six percent. Right, zero one six times zero point times zero point zero zero four. We get to a zero. We get a, a, a minuscule number, and then I multiply that by by uh, two hundred thirty six thousand. Right. Let's see. Two thirty six. One two three times that we're talking about 15 lineups okay 15 lineups with a baker mayfield ian thomas right and then you have to figure if ian thomas had 42 points and baker mayfield has 30 points or something like that does dj moore also have a good game right wait, wait, but but you're, you're making the assumption that Ian Thomas has owned the same amount in Baker Mayfield lineups as he is the rest of his lineups. Right, right. right? I, I'm assuming. Yeah, I'm, I'm not into. So, I'm, more lineups for that. Right, yeah. right. I'm saying, saying at the, at the minimum like 15 lineups, but at the maximum 40 or something like. Yeah, there's yeah. some there's some room over there. I'm just doing a very blunt. But okay. let if if that's the case, unless the Panthers truck them, it's more likely that maybe Marquise Brown or maybe Rondell Moore also had a ceiling game. So like we go to, let's say Marquise Brown, since you're playing a cheap tight end, maybe you go to Marquise Brown and what, what was he owned? I mean, it can't be that much. No. Right, Mark, uh, 2.6% owned, right? Right, we multiply that by 0.026. I mean, we're talking about like not even, like there's one lineup like that. Like there's like, Maybe there's three lineups like that. Maybe that's probably my lineup. Right. So like once you get once you get down to that, if you're playing a correlated piece, the correlation from an ownership perspective narrows your ownership in your lineup more and more and more. So let's say you were to play Baker Mayfield plus DJ Moore plus Ian Thomas plus Marquise Brown, a three plus one like that. First off, from a leverage standpoint. 
The rest of your lineup, just fucking jamming the optimal fucking just like you dude, you're good. You're competing against like 10 people. If that's the, if that's the winning stack, you want the highest rejected point. Like ownership doesn't matter. You can tell me that Jamal Williams is 90% owned. If he's the highest rejected running back at that point, just put him in that line. Like you're good. You don't want to, yeah. uh, wow, you're going to win the milli, but why you rather win the milli by 20 than by 10. Like it doesn't, it doesn't matter at that point. So understand that that's the extreme end of one side. Now think of the extreme end on the other side. If you're going to play someone like TJ Hawkinson at 20% in the tight end spot, or you're going to play someone like Lockett at close to 20% in the wide receiver spot, how many lineups, let's say if you, if you were to play uh, Geno Smith plus Lockett plus Hawkinson. Well, how many lineups is that? Let's, let, let's, let's, let's do that. So I'm going to go into results DB. I'm going to filter. I, I mean, I have your lineups up, but Geno Smith is 6.8% owned 0.68 times. Uh, then we have Lockett who's 15.4% owned. 0.154 times Hawkinson, who is 19.9% owned, times 0.199. Okay? We take that number. Right? This doesn't assume correlation, obviously. this none, The actual lineup should be higher than this. 236,000. Now, instead of that come, remember with the Panthers, you get with that type of stack, you get down to practically being the only lineup with it. Practically, yep. this one you get at minimum four hundred and ninety-one lineups, and it's probably more likely to be like five hundred or six hundred because these players are correlated to one another. Okay, yeah, I would think much higher. Yeah, right. So now you now you, you may be down right. So now just by playing that two plus one, not even a three plus one. You're you're down to 600 lineups now. Now what share? So if that stack comes in, like you're at 600th place, which is like not not even. I mean, all the money's at the top. Okay, it sounds like a small amount, and it is a much smaller amount. But because of the fact that that the they're high owned and they're being played together, the more would you rather? For instance, if you played Hawkinson at just 19 percent. 19.9, and that's it as your one-off. Mm -hmm. There are 46,964 lineups that have Hawkinson in it, okay? Yeah. So him by himself, you're competing against 46,000 lineups. Now, let's say Hawkinson has a 42-point game. What are the chances that with him having a 42-point game that Daniel Jones is the high, is high, outscores Geno Smith or Jared yeah. Goff? Or any, like, no, it's more likely right. if Hawkinson has a big game, one of the quarterbacks in that game, well, obviously Goff, right, because he passes to Hawkinson. So why the hell would you play uh, Hawkinson in a lineup at at high ownership? Because let's say you have now four, four, about 47,000 lineups you're competing against with Hawkinson. Mm -hmm. A lot of those lineups, like if we take Jared Goff, Jared Goff was 3.6% owned, I believe. Okay, so now the lineups with both at minimum, there are about 170 lineups with both Goff plus Hawkinson and probably more because of the correlation. So probably maybe 300, 400, maybe even more than that. 
When you play Hawkinson by himself in a Daniel Jones lineup, in a Josh Allen lineup, or, you know, like that, another stack, you're saying that when Hawkinson, Hawkinson's going to have a good game, but not so good that his correlated pieces won't come come along with him, that it's okay to use as a one-off. But I thought, yeah, which I thought was fine this week because he was 4,100 and, you know, I thought 16, nobody, I, I wasn't expecting 42 points out of Hawkinson. I was expecting, you know, 16 to 18, which would be probably the best tight end at 4,100. Right. But, but the, the sense of the matter is when the, when the chalk, when multiple players from a game and, and people are chalky, instead of, this is, I mean, we talk about this in baseball, Right. Ronald Acuna, let's say it's a, you know, it's a six game slate and Ronald Acuna is 40% owned, right? And then you look at the Braves and it's like, well, they're the highest owned team, but it's like Acuna at 40% and then like three guys at 15% and then like three guys at 8%. It's like, well, when you stack five of them, like the amount of lineups that you're competing against gets a lot smaller and smaller. So if Acuna has a good game, it's more likely that the other Braves have a good game. So you're sitting there with your twin stack and Acuna has a one-off and Acuna has, it goes three for five with a three run home run and two stolen bases. It's like, well, Swanson's probably did okay. And Riley probably did okay to some extent for Acuna to do that. Well, also they're correlated to some extent, but you're now competing against the line. Like, what are you hoping for with that one-off? Like, if you're hoping for an 80th plus percentile outcome out of Acuna, like, the Braves are probably coming along with them. So you're hoping that the Twins still score more than the other Braves players, and you're playing against 40% of the lineups for that condition to happen, rather than only play against the 6% of lineups that have the full five-man, some five-man five, five man Brave stack in some combination with Acuna, so if you're rooting for one rooting, quote unquote, for the ceiling mm-hmm. outcome of one thing, we get back to the Lions and the Seahawks. If you're rooting for a Jamal Williams, let's get to the running backs in a second. The running backs could go off without any of the other part of the game going yeah. off. So if you're rooting for Tyler Lockett to have a 35 point game, 120 yards, two touchdowns, eight receptions, like you, you if you don't play Geno Smith with him to reduce the amount of lineups that you're competing against. You're hoping that the 16% of lineups that have Lockett, he's the only guy that's worth playing and that Justin Herbert stacks beat, beat that game and everything like that. But as their points get higher and higher and more of the field share those points, what's the only way to find leverage? So we get to the other, the other lever, right? By increasing the correlation, by keep on increasing that correlation, we take a look at the Millie winning lineup. We took mm-hmm. we, we had that thirty two lineup train yesterday that had seven players oh, from wow. the game because all the players were owned. It's not like we were talking about like oh Jamal Williams was owned, Rashad Penny was owned, Geno Smith was owned, Lockett was owned, Metcalf was still owned enough, and Hawkinson was the highest owned tight end. And you're like, well, how do I get leverage by by and still be able to play the game? Well, by playing more of the game than the field is even playing. Like, how many lineups had seven in it? Yeah. Not not many, right? So, like, these all these variables, all these levers work in tandem with one another. And from a relative value standpoint, to increase the relative value of your lineup, 
typically, usually, if a player is chalky, it is better to overstack using them, using additional correlated pieces rather than use them as a one-off. And then the vice versa is true. So I don't mind, I don't mind Marquise Brown as a one-off, right? Because how many, like he's 2.6% owned. If he goes off for 35 points, probably Murray had a good game. Probably someone on the other side of the, DJ Moore may have had a good game. But those pieces are are lower owned. That once, if Marquise Brown is 2.6% owned, I'm already eliminating like 98% of lineups in the contest anyway. Yeah. Like I don't need the perfect lineup anymore. Like, dude, if Mark, if I have Marquise Brown in my lineup and I've chased Claypool with 30 points in my lineup at 1.6% owned, I may not even need Trubisky. I may not even need Murray. I may be perfectly fine with any other stack because I've already mm-hmm. eliminated so many other lineups with the one-offs that pairing them to correlated pieces is still fine. I'm eliminating the lineup, 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 lineup but, but then you get to a certain point where the rest of your lineup, like jamming the best projected, whatever the hell. And like, I, like I, I, maybe I'm ashamed to admit it, but I had a bunch of Trubisky, Claypool, Fryermuth, Wilson. Why did you play Pickett? You should have played Kenny Pickett instead. Yeah, I should have played Pickett. It wouldn't have mattered either way. Uh, those line, like those lineups, like I had Khalil Herbert in them. I had Jamal Williams in them. I had, I had, I had uh, Lockett. I and I tried to correlate with the Seattle Detroit pieces. So if I had Lockett, I also had uh, Josh Reynolds in the lineup or Hawkinson in the lineup. If I, you know, like because if I'm, I'm, I don't want to play the guy as a one-off. Really, I want to play like eliminated lineups also by p- playing the correlated piece. So to mm-hmm. me, on the shows that I said, I recommend, I said, with how much ownership there is in this game, be more inclined to play a bunch of the game, at least in some, in correlated ways, or to just, just don't play, don't play Hawkinson as a one-off, don't play any of these, any of them, with the exception of the running backs, because the running backs' ceilings aren't as correlated to passing game right. pieces Right, Jamal Williams yeah. could just run for 150 yards and three touchdowns, and everyone else just has a 10 point, 14 point game. You know, same for Rashad Penny. So, like, I feel free yeah. to play those guys as one off, no matter what their ownership or anything is. But everything else, when when it in general, if you just put a post-it note on your screen for more likely, less likely, it doesn't mean never or always. Is that the higher owned something is, the more likely you should be correlating with it, and the less owned it is the less likely you should be correlating with it. And then obviously, if you're correlating, if you're playing a three plus one out of, you know, if you're playing Geno Smith, Lockett, Hawkinson, Williams, you're going to do two plus two. Like that's a lineup where you play Marquise Brown. That's a lineup where you play Mike Williams. That's a lineup that you're, you ain't playing, you ain't playing Brandon Cook. You ain't playing like the Amari Cooper type of lineups. You ain't, you, you ain't playing the chalk running backs. And then the lineups where you're like, I'm just going to, I'm going to take low on pieces and correlate. Like that's, that's the time where you like fill out the rest of your lineup, almost like you're filling out a cash lineup because yeah. you're not going to, all you need is the best project. You've already gotten enough leverage that there you go. So like, to me, that, that was the lesson of this, of this past Sunday. And on occasion, 1% of the time, the total will go over by 35 points and Seven, you know, overstacking, super stacking, you get there. But I mean, from a median standpoint, you're 
you're capping because points are as one person scores, the other person can't. Right. So mega game stacks work in the instance that you score that many, you need to score that many points. And then it's also in relation to salary. That game was cheap. If you tried yeah. to just do a super if you did Allen Diggs, Davis, Andrews, Bateman, you don't even have enough money to even fill out the rest of your goddamn lineup. I mean, like, right. like you, that game needs to really score 93 points for that yeah. to be worth playing. So the cheaper the stack is, this is the vomit stack theory from, from, you know, five years ago, right? Which yeah. doesn't apply that much because the running backs don't get there as much, the high price running back that like, you don't need, you just need it to go over the total in relation to the salary, say for the baseball, right? You play the cheap ass yeah. five man stack. It's like, they don't need to score 15 runs. The best pitchers, you have the best secondary stack. Right, exactly. So I, I played I played the wrong vomit stack, is what I did. I played the Atlantic Cleveland game instead. But that was so. a popular vomit stack. Did you did you did you was it? Did Amari Cooper was like 19% owned. How the fuck does that happen? Oh, did he really? I didn't yeah. know. I, he was projected for I thought pretty low ownership. Yeah, I, I had him at 12. I think Stochastic had him at like eleven. Okay. Yeah, Amari Cooper came in at 19, and Njoku came in almost as high as Hawkinson, 17.2. I was more on the Mariota side of it. Let's see. I guess I only had 10.6 Mariota. The field got up to 8.3, so it was actually pretty popular. I also correlated more with the running backs. I like the Cleveland running backs, and they didn't get much. But it was the wrong wrong vomit stack, uh, pretty clearly. This game just... Ruin the slate for for me at least. No, I still I still played a bunch of Mariota. I mean, my my top ones in my large field, uh, I I played I heavily played Philadelphia Jacksonville. I played I I was I was going with the anti weather narrative of like I was assuming everyone's talking about the weather means that the ownership's just going down and down. And if I look at the P, if you tell me that Hurts plus one of Brown. Or Devonta Smith plus Goddard plus Christian Kirk as a run back. Like, those are all players that, like, if they put up 30 points, you're not shocked. Yeah. Right? So, like, I I, I just oh, I went overboard on that. And then uh, played a bunch. Obviously, I had some Geno Smith, right? I was about around the field in those types of lineups. But I tried to play those lineups as correlated as possible. Uh, then I took shots at, obviously, Trubisky. I, I had a little bit more car, like Carr Adams type lineups with Sutton or Judy on the other side. Uh, yeah. I have a bunch of, I went over on Herbert, Herbert Williams, Palmer, Everett. I had like Herbert Palmer, Everett plus cooks, those types of lineups. I had Eckler plus cooks as a secondary in a lot of lineups. Uh, but I was, I was under, I was, it's weird for me to say, looking at your exposures, uh, you have Josh Allen, 19%, Lamar Jackson at 19%. I had like four and six. Okay. They were just, I mean, I, I used the top stacks tool at Stochastic and on, in the top stacks tool, they looked like they were under-owned even at the projected, the, the pro- projected ownership looks like it was, came in about right. Uh, but we had Josh Allen at like a 19% chance of being the top stack on the day and, and Lamar Jackson right around there too, I think. So they just looked under-owned. Actually, no, we had Lamar Jackson. I think we had Lamar Jackson actually at more like four or 5% owned. He came in at, at 10%. So that was part of the reasoning there. Um, you want me, you yeah, want me to tell guys. you, I'm going to tell you why. I mean, I, I saw that information also. Yeah. Uh, do you want me to tell you the reason why I was under, like I thought Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson were under owned as stacks. Under owned as stacks. And I still, and I still did not play them. 
Okay. Yeah, let's hear it. Okay. Understanding, and I talk about this in the advanced course, and I'm not saying, Neil, you're a bad player. I'm not saying. It depends. I don't, I don't, it depends on your lineups. I mean, I haven't looked at your individual lineups. Simulation output has to be correlated to other players in the pool. Okay? So, like, for instance, in NBA, I'm going to use NBA as an example. If It's very easy to see. Let's say, Neil, we have one of those basketball slates. Some dude is out, right? Like There's some $3,800 guy that pretty much we're playing 100% of, right? That's one of those slates. The top, like, you're going to see, well, Jokic is a great shot at being in the optimal, right? Embiid, great shot at being in the optimal, right? Mm-hmm. You're going to see Durant, great shot at being in the optimal, you know why? Because you get you're playing a thirty eight hundred dollars sh- shooting guard that projects yeah. for forty points. If you once you don't play that guy, the optimal rates of all those guys go what, go because the only reason they're optimal is they're the highest raw. They're not great point per dollar values, but they're Luca is just in the small. If you could fit him in the small forward spot, like he's the highest raw points, and you're getting so much value from some other spot. So the jo- that that game, the pieces were very expensive. So for you to stack that game, you had to play cheaper value pieces. So you were more likely to play Richie James and Khalif Raymond and Josh Reynolds and like I could just go by salary. Like I mean, you're you're more likely Jamal to Williams play. and Khalil Herbert also made it more possible. So I, right, I it made it, it right more in the optimal because of those two running backs being smashed. Bots. Right, but I'm saying you Rondell Moore, uh, like Nico Collins, Donovan, like. It required cheaper, some cheaper guys. And mm-hmm. they, proje- like someone like Khalif Raymond and Richie James, from a median standpoint, project very well. And Rondell Moore didn't project all that badly, depending on the incomes. Nico Collins didn't project, like, he didn't project well, but he projected good enough mm-hmm. at, the, at those prices. And also, you had a lot of 5K guys down the board that projected pretty well. So, like, if you were to build a lineup with Josh Allen, if you did Allen Diggs, Knox, if you did Allen Diggs, Andrews, something like that, you probably had to play like Josh Jacobs and and Khalil Herbert. Or Jamal. Oh, yeah. Here, here's my pushback. You're naming a lot of really cheap guys who were good options. I mean, we had all of the Lions receivers. We had Richie James. We had David Sills. We had the two smash spot running backs in, in Jamal Williams and Khalil Herbert. And and still, even with all of these cheap guys, these these expensive stacks weren't getting a ton of ownership. Plus, you had like the Isaiah McKenzie piece you could throw in the Bills stack for pretty cheap. So I think that there were enough. To me, there were enough different cheap guys who looked pretty good to make it more viable. Yeah, but the pre- that, here's the problem though: the cheap guys are owned. True. Okay, but so the like- stacks were not. So they were contrarian stacks. Yeah, but I mean, the, I guess, but I guess no, 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 you're not getting my highly. Okay, right? They're I, I correlated highly. That's yeah, okay. the so like for instance, if you were going to be like, well, I want to play an Allen Diggs. Let's say you said I want to play Allen Allen plus Diggs plus Andrews, right? Yeah. Right, and that's it. Maybe you didn't even want to add Bateman or add anyone. Just like just do that. It's like, well, I have to play a cheap piece. It's like, well, I got to play Richie James or Khalif Raymond, and then you know, and then I have to play cheap running backs, and it's like, well. I got to play Jamal Williams and Khalil Herbert. Now, all of a sudden, you're running into, like, anyone with Allen plus Diggs plus Andrews has a lot of these same, because they, you have to, they don't, nothing else fits 
in the lineup. And then once and then once you go, okay, let's say I'm going to play Allen plus Diggs plus Andrews, but instead of playing Khalil Herbert, I'm gonna, instead of playing Jamal Williams, I'm going to play AJ Dillon. And then instead of playing Khalil Herbert, I'm going to play uh, 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 Antonio Gibson. Kareem Hunt. Yeah. Kareem Hunt or something like that. And instead of playing Richie James, I'm going to play George Pickens. And regardless of what happened, like all of a sudden you're decreasing the projection in your lineup to get different. And you've yeah. now decreased your projection by like eight points in those lineups. What's the chance that Josh Allen stacks right. make the optimal? Like it makes fair. the optimal because of all the value that you're shoving in, in okay. addition to it, I, I but you're not saying that is true. Right. Okay. So like, I'm not saying that you did anything wrong, but you have to think of that in its entirety. I'm assuming if I went sure. through your lineups, like that your lineups are balanced for that anyway, but it just makes it right. harder. Like I just, yeah. I was looking through these Allen Lamar lineups. It makes less relevant, essentially. Right, right. I just kept on looking through and it's like, like, dude, the only way I could fit these in is if I have to, I have to jam in some type of, or some type of like lower, pro- what ended up happening is that these lineups were lower projected and higher owned. And I like, I, I'm not going to play as many of these because it just feels like what I need to put in Khalif Raymond in this lineup to make the projection work. I need to play the the Giants defense, the Bears defense to make this work. I need to I need to play some 5K receiver that was owned because they were three points better projected than other 5K receivers. And I'm like, like how do I how do I make this lineup different enough? And you could. You could, but it just I didn't I didn't feel like I could do it enough that I saw value in just the, the pieces are just too expensive together that I'm just going to move. Like the, 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 the Herbert ones were very similar as well. It's just that th- those pieces weren't as owned. Like I didn't mind overpaying, like, like playing Herbert plus Williams plus Everett plus cooks. is not like cheap. Williams is 7,000 Herbert is 7,100 cooks is 5,800 Everett's 40 foot, what? 4,400 or something. I mean, like, like, like that wasn't cheap. It's just that, well, but Herbert is four percent owned, and and Williams is four percent owned, and Cooks is owned. Cooks is maybe fourteen percent owned. Everett is four percent owned. All like now, once I do that, if I have Khalif, if I need Khalif Raymond in that lineup, I don't mind because I'm not playing fourteen percent owned Josh Allen with eighteen percent owned Diggs with fourteen percent right. owned Andrews. So it's like I can eat the ownership on these. I can act out fine. Fuck it. I play Richie James in that lineup. I don't give a fuck. Like think of the extreme example with the Steelers lineup. It's like, dude, that Steelers. Fuck it. Play Khalif. Who gives a fuck how owned Josh Reynolds is? Who gives a fuck about any of that? So I found that 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 the salary issue was there. And that's why I say moving over to simulation output stuff. Like you're just reading the numbers as in, oh, they have the more likely not realizing that the reason why they do is because you can fit these cheap pieces in. And once you take, like if you eliminated, if I just told you that everyone under 5K projects for a horrible point per dollar value and then reran the top stack tool, Josh yeah, Allen and Lamar Jackson's stack yeah. would be, would be much, would, I don't know what, at what sure. point, what numbers or whatever, but conceptually, yeah. That's what I ran. My, if if you didn't mind running and making sure really closely to your full lineup ownership, you could play plenty of Allen Lamar. I'm not saying that you couldn't. It just yeah. it was a harder way to go, and that's and that's the the basis of the simulation output. So simply just going, 
uh, well, what's the top, like, oh, uh, the, the, you know, the, this, this lineup, like Daniel Jones projected as a top stack much higher. Why? Because Barkley and James. So you played Jones, Barkley, because Barkley was a good point per dollar value. James was a good point per dollar value from a median standpoint. And Khalil Herbert was one of the top running back plays. So the three plus one of, of Jones, Barkley like that. And then once you do that, it's very easy to put digs in that lineup. It's very easy to play Jonathan Taylor in that lineup. Right. And then, but if you're going to go, well, I'm going to do the Jones stack like that and then play a 10 point lower projected lineup. It's like, well, Jones's chance of being in the optimal is 1% now. Like, yeah, yeah, that's the reason you have to be able, Jamal Williams and Herbert have to be in that lineup in order for Jones to breach that percentage. Yeah. No, I, I follow what you're saying. It makes it it makes the uh, the number a little bit less relevant when you consider the reasoning behind why they get optimal in those sims. Um, I guess I'm I'm not that afraid to go like with a lower projected lineup just because particularly in football, I don't think the projections are worth as much as like NBA more, obviously more than MLB. But like there's still like there's so much variance in the in the range of outcomes in these projections that I'm OK with a lineup that projects eight points lower because I'm playing, you know, several guys that project a couple points lower because the range of outcomes is just so large in football. Right. Like I'm looking, I'm looking through some of your lineups. Uh, they're missing play. Why is, why is fucking lineup fucking <laughs> lineup? Eight, uh, the results DB is missing some players in your line. I don't know why. Uh, uh, so for instance, here's, here's a lineup that is uh 103 total ownership. Lamar Bateman, Diggs, then you have uh, Barkley, Penny, Cephas, Hawkinson, DJ Moore, and the Houston defense. Like I'm fine with this lineup. Yeah, like this, because Pretty. you found you found like Quintus C. But understand that like the 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 viability of the top stack also depends on like Cephas and more. Like the only the only kind of semi low low projected play like. Like Bateman obviously is a little bit lower point per dollar, but you're you're correlating, so who gives a shit? Right, right. Barkley was Barkley was fine. Penny projected pretty well. That's fine. Hawkinson was the top tight end play. DJ Moore projected halfway decently, so not bad. Defense is who gives a fuck. So we don't even I don't even care about that. So like I, I see not like this lineup you built around instead of playing Khalif Raymond, you play Quintus Cephas. I mean like like dude, that's all it like literally right. that's. That's kind of all it takes. Here's a uh, I'm, where are the lineups where where fucking people are missing. I'm looking and it's like you only have one running back in there. I think it's also due to that it's not updated for the the late games. So hmm. like if you have any late players That's in here, it. right? I like played here, a lot of late players. Here's here's another Lamar Jackson lineup. Uh, well, there's Lamar Jackson, Mark Andrews, and Isaiah McKenzie as the run back. It has Jamal Williams and Hawkinson and the Detroit defense. It has Antonio Gibson, DJ Moore, Robert Woods at one percent. Like, you're th- these are these are fine. Like that's that's why yeah. like these are fine. One hundred and two point nine total ownership. Here's the, where where's some Josh Allen. Let me let me find some Josh Allen lineups that are fu- that are full. Like, come on, isn't it? Some of these things. Where's the tight end in this spot? I don't know. Maybe this is Waller here. Here's Josh Allen, Isaiah McKenzie. Stefan Diggs, Rashad Bateman, and then you have Williams, Penny, 
Chicago defense and some tight end, I guess, that's in a late game. Like, yeah. I, but I have no problem. You're playing Isaiah McKenzie in the spot where Josh Reynolds would normally be. Like, like I'm, I have no problem with, I, like, this lineup is fine. Like, Bateman's ownership just is low enough that, that you're good there. Your projection is a little bit lower. Mm-hmm. But, like, these, these these lineups are fine. Like, here's a Lamar, here's, here's one. Lamar Jackson, Mark Andrews, Isaiah McKenzie, Jamal Williams, Antonio Gibson, Robert Woods, Khalif Raymond, Brandon Cook. So the Khalif Raymond got you that, you know, okay, now you're you're into territory where the combination, but now you're not playing Diggs, you're playing McKenzie. And then you're playing 1% owned Gibson and 1% owned Woods, who weren't horribly projected. They weren't greatly projected. Yeah. But they're not like stupid low. Like this lineup, you have Jamal Williams in the lineup. I mean, like you have the highest owned player on the slate pretty much in the lineup. Yep. Like these these lineups look these lineups look fun. I mean, like individually, right? Here's a Josh Allen lineup with McKenzie and Davis in it. Like there, you're good. You're you're fine. Right. Right. And but you're but here this lineup has Jamal Williams and Khalil Herbert in it, and Brandon Cooks in it, and Gerald. But you got Gerald Everett at four percent. So like, I look and I go, these lineups are fine. This one, this one. How about here's here's a Richie James one. Because the problem that I was explaining before is like, well, in yeah. order to play these types of stacks, you need to play like some chalk sheep guy. Allen yeah. plus Diggs plus Knox plus Bateman. So not the Andrews lineup. It still has Jamal, it has Jamal Williams in it and Richie James in it. Chalky pieces. Yeah. But it also has uh, Damian Pierce and DJ Moore at 8 and 6% owned. And the Atlanta defense at 1% owned. Yeah. I mean, we, we've talked about before. I'm th- these all do sound like fine lineups. It would not shock me if I have a lineup here or there that does have a lot of shock pieces. But you know, I as I've said, I you and I both accept kind of some some loss leaders in our lineups. I think I accept more than you do lineups. I'm just like, yeah, sometimes I'll have some bad lineups, but I do enough adjustments to my projections to get to like different kinds of ownerships that I don't run into a whole lot of lineups that are just like all of the chalk because typically. If a guy is getting too chalky, I'm going to be under the field. Obviously, I ate a lot of Jamal Williams this weekend, uh, but there are some pieces I ate less of. Like here's one. Like here's another. Here's one with a 79 total ownership. Josh Allen, Diggs, and Davis. Very expensive. You mm-hmm. saved money on that stack by playing 0.7 percent on Isaiah Likely in the tight end spot, uh, and then you played Brees Hall and Rashad Penny, Nico Collins. Najee Harris, Arizona defense. Like, like, dude, you're fine. Uh, Brees Hall's 4%. Nico Collins is 1.5%. Najee is 7%. Arizona defense is 2%. Like, but you have to build these types. Of, the thing is, is that you need to build these types of lineups. If you're building lineups that look more like, like Josh Allen, Diggs, Andrews, one of the two chalk running backs, and one of, one of the, the 5K chalk wide receivers... Like yeah. you're that you're, you're you're gonna and then and then she and what either Raymond or James, like you're gonna you, that that's that's you're gonna run into too many lineups like that. So like these yeah. line these lineups look fine. Yeah, I I mean I I actually really I thought going into the slate I was like I really liked the way that I played the slate going away from the I largely went away from the Lions uh, and. 
Seahawks to some extent. I guess not entirely. I played a lot of Hawkinson. I played a lot of Jamal Williams, but like the cheaper parts of that game in favor of other cheaper parts elsewhere. And I, in terms of like full game stacks, I thought, well, this game is, you know, although I liked it early in the week, given the high ownership, I don't like it quite as much. So I went to a lot of the Cardinals versus Panthers stacks and then Browns versus uh, Atlanta stacks instead. And I thought, I thought that that was a really good decision. I was pretty happy with the decision to go to, especially the uh, the Cardinals versus Panthers stacks. Uh, and they, I mean, it didn't, it wasn't going to work out after the way that the Seattle and, and Lions, like there was no way that was going to work out just given how much that game went off. But uh, I think if we, if we played the slate again next week, I would probably make a lot of the same decisions, I think. Right. I just, I could, I couldn't get these, these, I couldn't get the Kyler lineups to work. I, I didn't, I didn't like that was the, I had in that game. I had some DJ Moore, a little bit of Robbie Anderson. I had some Rondell Moore and a little bit of Marquise Brown and some James Conner thrown in, but I like, I did not. I, I, if I was going to pay up for a quarterback, it was not going to be Kyler Murray, but I could see he's, he's low on. I could, I could, I could see, yeah. like I take a look at this. Here, here's a lineup from yours. Uh, Kyler Murray, Greg, like Greg Dorch at five. Why was Greg Dorch 7% owned? Really? You got to do better. So it was, I, I, it was unclear to me and I, the people that I talked to, whether Rondell Moore would actually eat into Greg Dorch just because of how good he has been. I thought there was some chance that he would retain that role and that his ownership would be really low. And I guess apparently a lot of other, other people thought the same thing. So uh, it did not work out and he did not retain that role at all. So yeah, it was a mistake. Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't have done this. Yeah, but you have Kareem Hunt and Cleveland defense in this lineup. You have Brandon Cooks, Hawkinson, and Jamal Williams. And yeah, because you need the if you're gonna play a Kyler double stack with a Panthers bring back, you need you're gonna have to eat like one off. You're gonna have to eat one off chalk to raise your projection. Yeah, I was just I was just unwilling to do that. I was just like, let me take a look at because I look at every stack. I look at literally every because I build every stack. Yeah. And I go, am I willing to eat? Am I willing to? Because I know that the more Kyler stacks I would play, the more Jamal Williams and Herbert and and those and Lockett I would need to play, Hawkinson I would need to play, and I I my attitude was like I said before I approached the slate from I'm either going to be playing Seattle Detroit in correlated lineups or I'm not going to play them at all, and if I need them to raise my projection and they're not correlated, then I can't play those lineups. So that's why like Kyle both Mayfield stack any any stack that was low projected outside of Trubisky. Like I, 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 in Trubisky lineups, I still needed to play one, one. So like, I would play like lock, lock at Hawkinson or Jamal Williams and, and Josh Reynolds and, and Rashad Penny. Or like, I would still have to play two sides in some type of correlated way, but at least with the Trubisky stuff, it was cheap. Like 7,600 and then, and 6,900 for Marquise Brown I, I just, I could, I, I'm not saying these lineups are, are minus EV. It's just that I, I, out of the 50 line, 50,000 lineups you could have built, I just chose not to do those. The Greg Dorch at 7% though, at 5k, not, not a, not a big fan. of. Yeah, I, I get it. It was a, it was a gamble that he would retain the role he's, he's had. And at 5,000, I thought that, I thought the price tag was fine if he did retain similar to the role he has had. Uh, but obviously that was not the case. They went back to run no more. So didn't work out. Um, yeah, I, I don't really have any other justification for it other than it was wishful thinking, I guess, that he would retain more of a role. 
Well, also, you're making a lot of those lines. I mean, like, like you were 18% of your lineups were Kyler lineups. And to get yeah. diversification in those, yeah, of, of course, you're going to get Dortch. You're not going to make the same stack all every single time. Right. Every, the yeah. same four guys, you know, like, I under, I understand that. So you would naturally get some Dortch. I know that you wouldn't X him out because you're building those lineups. It makes no sense to do that. It wasn't like me who, when Zay Jones was inactive, right, I just switched all those lineups to Marvin Jones Jr., even though I'm like, this could be a Jamal Agnew game, right? At 3K. Yeah. And I just said, I just not, I just said, <coughs> I have all my lineup set already. And Marvin Jones Jr. is just literally 100 more than Zay Jones. And remember, I was playing like run back. So it's like it would be Hertz lineup with a run back of Zay Jones or Christian yeah. Kirk. So I just went through all my Zay Jones lineups. And if it was, oh, 49 9 lineup, Marvin Jones. <coughs> if it was a 50K lineup, I just moved my defense down 100 and then like, then like it was just so much easier, even though I'm like, if I would have started this from scratch, I would have had some Jamal Agnew in there, but yeah. the, the $1,200 difference, it's like, ah, I'm not going to wiggle with all these lineups with 1200 and then go up here and then do that for manually 110 lineups. I, yeah. I just said, I'll just play Marvin Jones and get the zero. Yeah. Right? I would have <laughs> done the same probably. <laughs> To be, to be fair, just to just to just to make make you feel better, uh, Big T had twenty one percent of James Cook. So just uh, just to let you know, I saw some some Twitter people were saying James Cook might take over that role this week. I thought about it briefly, but I was just like, there are so many other players that I'd rather get to that I didn't end up playing any. I thought about playing some James Cook. Really? I mean, there were there I don't know there was chatter that he was going to take on a bigger role and he was cheap. Uh, you know, I played Jamichael Hasty a lot last year. Right, so, you're, you're absolutely. So I'm not above playing. Like, if, if a guy's going to get zero ownership, and I think there's a path to him having a big game, I'm not above uh, jamming him in a little bit. If it's not reflected in the projection, in the milli, by the way, in the milli especially. I mean, we're right. talking about you're reading hundreds of thousands of people. You've got to get weird. So yeah, but to me, I just I'm, I'm remember I'm looking at numbers. So what I look like James Cook, it's like what was the fuck did I have him? I mean. I'm, I'm, you're looking at his projection, but projections are fragile and even more fragile with a guy who's played three career games prior to this week. And is you know he's a rookie, drafted, uh, had a lot of hype coming in. There was there was some there was a world I think in which James Cook took on a yeah, bigger you role need, in an offense that was going to score up. Do that, but you don't need to do that. You don't need to do that, but it's uh, if if point one percent. I don't know how many people played James Cook. I, I guess that he projected for three but, points median for forty six hundred just. Dude, just play someone else. Play Josh Reynolds. Play any other $4,600 play. I mean, like, that's what I mean by, like, yes, there is an outcome where this projection is absurdly off. But it needs to be absurdly. It need, it, like, it's not like James Cook projected for 10 and he wasn't that good of a value. Like, he's literally projected for a median, a mean of three. How much mean projection you get? Like, dude, there are $4,600 players that project for, like, eight more points than that. Like, how much do you gain? Take a look at, like, winning lineups of GPPs. You don't need the nuts. If James Cook sure. put up 20 points, most likely he wasn't going to be in the winning lineup anyway. Like, let's say James Cook put up as many points as Rashad Penny. Yeah. The chances are James Cook is not in the Millie Maker winning lineup. Why? Because not many people have him. So who gives a fuck? But also, yeah, but... It, it, so yeah, you're correct. Uh, you you don't need the nuts, and you're less likely to see it because it's so low owned. But if you have him, that's a huge leg up. Say say James Cook put up 30 fantasy points at 4600. How often does that happen, Neil? Him. How often does that happen? It, it doesn't happen that often. Okay. So so James Cook is. I mean, I didn't play any. Uh, 
but I, I can I think there are scenarios where it makes some sense. I don't think that it was the worst play in the world. Um, not not my favorite play either, which is obviously why I didn't get to it. Um, but you know, it's as you say, it's you need those outlier uh, scenarios, and sometimes you can. It's not just a matter of who you're competing against; it's getting a leg up because nobody else has them. If you know you don't, I guess I, you might be right that there are better plays that also nobody had. That right, but well, that's the point. That's exactly the point I'm making. It's like, dude, well, you could you could play people at point five percent ownership. I'm just saying I don't care at all. Really. In the Millie Maker in particular, with those kind of outlier players, the the uh, not the chalky guys, I don't care at all about projection. I call I care only about range of outcomes, and I think that James's Cooker's James's James Cook's range of outcomes maybe had a higher spike than some of those. <laughs> but not according to the project. Players. Not a, it's literally in the projections. But as I was saying, the projections are extremely fragile. He's then why don't you just throw them out completely? Oh, if you're going to be if you're going to be rostering guys like that with the, with three point projections, then you might as well just throw out all the projections. Then, I right? Mean, you might as well just throw them all. Just do a randomness to 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 a thousand percent, and just who cares at that point? There's a lot. Like I agree with what you're saying. A lot more it, to get right. If you throw out all the projections, you need to just get completely lucky. You know that. This well, there you go. Okay, out. then go pick. Go okay. feel free to have your 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 Keelan Cole, uh, uh, James Cook, uh, like like dude like J.K. Dobbins wasn't owned. I mean, like just play someone, play a real person, play uh, dude. You could have played Craig Reynolds. But at forty seven hundred. That that's at least more viable. Okay, fine. Well, Dude, that okay, he's but, projected for eight point two six in my aggregate. Like, like, dude, there's so many other people. Just play, just play someone that's you can get that low ownership for just someone else. Like, just why? <laughs> yeah, but if you think that James Cook is more likely to hit that ceiling outcome than these other players, yeah, which, but uh, did, yeah. did 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 what 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 did the stochastic projections have for that? Not good enough. Okay, that, so that that's a, so you can't argue from both sides of your mouth. So it's like. Like if you're like I need to if you if you said if you said I want to find someone that is under one percent owned and I want to play that I want to play someone you know whatever it is just name a person anything you could I could go through a list of thirty people that are under one percent owned in the milli if you had a choice between any of those people and correlation didn't matter wouldn't you play the highest projected just like the wouldn't you wouldn't why wouldn't you Highest projected ceiling, even fine. We're not, not even a median. Like, just pick that guy. Yeah, I mean, yes, I prefer the highest projected. Okay, ceiling. so then, so what? So you, you're sitting there, you're sitting there, going, okay, I want to play a running back around around uh, forty six hundred, right? What I'm, I'm saying, gonna... I think some projections are more fragile than others, and I think with you know a rookie running back who hasn't had much of an opportunity yet. There was an argument, at least, that he his projection was more fragile. His ceiling was not accounted for in his projection because projections are usually they need to be based in something, right? You're not just going to grasp at like he's never done anything, he hasn't really had many opportunities. But I think he's going to have a great game this week, and and there was some buzz that he might take on a larger role this week. So I, I can see I can see why you would want to play some James Cook this week. Is all I'm saying. So did you change his? Did you change James Cook? I did projection? not. I did not this week. I thought about it. I thought, do I want to get to some James Cook? And I decided against it. I just, I'm saying that I don't think that it was wrong if you decided that you did want to take a few shots there. If you play him in one lineup, if you play him in a lineup and you build chalk around him, yeah, of course, you could play any player. Just why, why, in, N- in NBA, for instance, Neil, 
Do you ever play the guys on the bench that only come in for blowouts? Not on a full slate, no. Okay, but you why don't why don't you? Uh, because it's it's so unlikely to hit. What what and if you if you're gonna play a thirty five hundred dollar player, right, a thirty eight hundred dollar player or something like that, you have a you have players that are these guys are not in the rotation even. They will literally will right. get a a DN, DNP coaches whatever did not play. They come in when the game is there's four minutes to go and whatever you know like yeah I'm not playing that. You're looking at this retroactively and saying James Cook didn't play, so therefore James Cook was never gonna play. But he's a rookie, and we there was some chatter that maybe he was going to take on a bigger role this week. Okay, but the same chatter of like, oh, maybe maybe so and so gets in the in the rotation for NBA. Okay, but James Cook had been already in the rotation. It was more okay, like, but I'm so, I'm trying I'm trying to make it in comparison. Yeah. It's not okay, in comparison. Yeah, if a guy was if a guy was playing 15 minutes a game, if a backup center was playing 15 minutes a game, and there was chatter that. He, there's a good. They're thinking about playing him more this game. I might play him if he's getting. Okay, but but that's a that's not the situation I'm talking about. That's that's not this situation. I'm talking about in NBA if it's a nine game slate, right? And you're like the Bucks are are sixteen point favorites against whatever the hell other team, right? And the Bucks, you know, play whoever the fuck off the bench. Like at the like in the fourth quarter when they're up by God knows how many, and you're like this guy normally plays six minutes. Like he's in the rotation, but like he he basically comes in when very you know like three comes in for four minutes in in one half and four minutes in the other on some time when they switch out these two guys and he's in there mm-hmm. for those instances. So eight minutes, right? And he's thirty eight hundred or something like that. Like, and it's a nine game slate. And if the game blew out early enough, maybe he ends up playing 18 minutes because he's playing the last 10 minutes of the game automatically. Like you have a choice between playing that player at virtually no ownership, what's less than 1% ownership, or do you play the $3,800 backup point guard that's going to be playing 24 minutes on usual, usually playing 24 minutes. And then if it is a blow and he's playing 32 minutes and like that guy projects, they're both the same price. And that guy from a median standpoint projects like for 16 more points than the other yeah, guy, like, like more points. And he's, and also let me tell you, it's a nine game slate. And that guy's going to be 0.8% owned all like he's 0.8%. The other guy, you're literally the only guy in the entire contest that has him in like, why, so how much ownership do you need to sack? I mean, like, let, yeah, I'm going to sacrifice 16 points so I could go to, from a 0.8% on player to a 0.1% on player. Like, why the fuck would you ever do that? Just play the 0.8% uh, well, how, how many, on how many, how many lineups are in this contest? Because NFL has 500,000 so, people. Yeah, that's still not enough for you to do that. You already I mean, have a low-owned player. You already have, it's already gave. fucking nothing there. In the example that you gave, I would agree with you. I don't think that James Cook was exactly that. I think we disagree about, you know, what whether it was reasonable to think that maybe James Cook was going to take over as like the lead back this week, which I did play him. I, I, I came to the decision. No, I don't think it's a good enough. Uh, it's likely enough that I want to be taking shots on James Cook. There are better plays. I'm just saying I'm just defending the big T deciding to play some James Cook. He obviously went overboard with 21 percent, but uh 
I can I can see why you would consider playing more James Cook. I'm just I'm I'm looking I'm, I'm filtering by position, okay? So I'm going to look at at field exposure, okay? I'm going to go all, all I'm going to go all the way down to the to the to the bottom. To guys that like let's see that have any type of ownership. Okay? So James Cook was 0.3% owned. Okay? Tell me the reason why you'd play uh, JD McKissick and Rex Burkhead 0.3% owned, 0.6% owned. Uh, Craig Reynolds, 1.2% owned. J.K. Dobbins, 1.2% owned. Travis Etienne, 1.4% owned. Uh, Miles Sanders, oh, he's 6,000. Okay, so he's not as cheap as that. But like, you understand what I'm saying? Is like, I'm looking at like guys that projected for like three times more than James Cook. That what's it, what's the difference really between 0.3% and 1%? Like that's at that level, like, these are unowned, these are unowned players. So unless, unless the only thing that you, that you could argue, which is perfectly fine to argue is that uh, the projections are wrong. Yeah. And that's, that's essentially what I'm thinking, what I'm saying the argument is the projections or at least the ceiling outcome is wrong because that's the thing with projections is, you know, anybody who's building projections, especially publicly public projections, isn't just going to be like on a whim, no, I think he gets 60% this week. He's only gotten 20, 30% of the uh, running back carries so far, but I think this week he's going to get 60 or 70. Nobody's going to do what that. What do you get? What do you get when you win versus what do you get when you lose? I said this about fucking Keelan Cole last week, where fucking people are telling me, oh, they're going to play Keelan Cole over Mac Hollins. And I'm like, let's say you get Keelan Cole right. Let's say he scores 20 points. Let's just say. At, virg- at pretty much no ownership. I mean, at nothing. I mean, point nothing ownership. Do you win the Millie? No. You still have to get Probably everything not. else in your lineup right. Now, what's the downside? If you're wrong, you're basically locking in practically zeros into your lineup. Sure. If you don't want to play Mac Collins, then don't play Mac Collins. Fine. Like, but you don't have to play Keelan. Find someone that actually has a role that is less risky, that is also as low-owned, you don't need 0.3. Fine, find someone at 1% ownership. Like, you're already at such a low ownership level that why, what's the bet? Like, so you could victory lap and go and like, look, I played 0.3% owned Keelan Cole that got 32 points. And this is what I, and I, and I, and I, I'm, I'm uh, uh, a little, a little sarcastic when it comes to when people play, like, You'll see this in all sports, NBA, right? Especially NBA. I'm not talking about like like highly variant sports, but in NBA, like someone on a, on the pregame show would be like, "Tonight is the night to play so and so." I'm like, "He's gonna play 12 minutes. What 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 the fuck are you doing?" And then it's a blowout, right? The guy plays 28 minutes at 3K and he scores like 24 points which is not like even like a, that even much of a ceiling outcome. And then someone will tweet at me, go, yeah, you poo-pooed that. It was a blowout. And this guy scored 24 points. I said, so show me where you binked. And they never show me where they binked. It's like, yeah, well, I did play him in all three of my lineups and two of them cashed and one of them didn't. Well, and I, like one, yeah. okay, they can. Let me see the lineups that you can. Like, dude, wouldn't it have been better if you just played a better play? I mean, like, like you didn't, you still have to get everything else right. So just because you got the call right, you still have to get everything else right. So what's the, the, the chances are you're more likely wrong. 
So why doom yourself and if that's the downside when the upside is and if if that guy scores if if your 0.1% player scores 40 points you don't get a million dollars. You don't get it. You still have to get them in the it's right hard lineups. To bank, no matter who is in your lineup, though. If you and I would rather give myself a better shot to bank. I mean, one percent. You say you say one percent in a contest with two hundred and thirty-four thousand entries. That's still two thousand three hundred and forty people you need to beat if you have that one percent guy. That's that's all those lineups have them too. So you still need to get a lot right to win that. Whereas 0.1 percent, you cut it down to two hundred and thirty-four, whatever, whatever the number was. So I don't know. It's a, you, you cut the field smaller with the, the lower owned guys. It's the same. It's the same kind of ownership calculation you're doing at every level. By your by your logic, like why don't we just play all with zero point one percent of players in our lineup then, right? Why? Oh, the projections. Oh, who cares about the projections? I think uh, in a. That's I not think, what I'm saying. That is not at all. Dontrell Hilliard. I think Dontrell Hilliard is going to have a good game. I think uh, everyone's playing uh, uh, Rashad Penny. I'm going to play Kenneth Walker, and then uh, uh, I think uh, I think uh, uh, let's go to the wide receivers. And uh, why not? I'm going to scroll all the way down. It, it's. I think it's. I think it's. A, I think it's a Randall Cobb game. I think why not? Like like dude like. At some point, you have to... It's all about the likelihood that a player is going to succeed versus their ownership. And you could have made the... Some people thought that James Cook had a likelier chance to succeed than 0.3%. Some people thought that James Cook had a real chance to have a blow-up game that he was going to take over the backfield in a great offense. Maybe the thing holding back the Bills' run game is that Devin Singletary is not that good. Maybe maybe what they need is James Cook to be more involved, and he'll, you know, he'll make the running game a little bit better. It's obviously a great offense. He's got a chance to put up 25, 30 fantasy points at zero ownership, and you can gain a leg up on the field. It's just like any other decision you make. In general... I trust the projections. I think that uh, I think that goes without saying that a lot of my lineups include players that project very well. So I'm not throwing out the projections. I'm not saying that you should throw out the projections, that you shouldn't use the projections. I'm saying that I like to sometimes find spots where I think the projections maybe are fragile. Like maybe this is not the best projection in the world or it doesn't really account for a player's full range of outcomes and make some decisions that way. I did it last year with Jamichael Hasty. Obviously, didn't work out for me. Uh, it didn't work out for people who played James Cook today. But I don't think that it's always wrong. I think that you do see sometimes people do benefit from playing these fringy guys and making the, the right call based on what they've heard, based on trends that they're seeing. And maybe some people thought that James Cook uh, was trending in the right direction. So you play him in a lineup that otherwise projects very well. And if you get it right, you don't have to get that much else right if you're playing Jamal Williams, Rashad Penny, TJ Hawkinson, the other guys who do project. Yeah, but you're competing against so many more lineups. Yeah, but you've cut it down to 200 and whatever it is now. No, 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 no. I'm talking about the no. I'm talking about the other way around. So let's say you're playing you. So so what you're saying is that uh, in GPP you'd rat you you think it's much more viable that it's plus EV. I'm going to take my cash lineup, right? I'm going to take my cash lineup that I had on DraftKings. I'm going to take out. Uh, Josh Jacobs in my flex. I'm going to put in James Cook at 0.1% owned. And okay, I, it doesn't matter that my cash lineup is sharing, like, okay, no, no. I, I'm sharing okay. the 20,000 lineups have the same combinations yeah. of players. I just need James Cook. I need I all say, the, I literally need I all say, the chalk to smash every single piece to have flames and things coming out of their ass. And sure, then sure. James Cook, I need to also. In addition to all the chalk smashing, to be like 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 to have twenty five points also like 
That's what I mean, I'm, I'm saying. saying I'm not saying that you shouldn't balance your lineup still. If you if you do play James Cook, you should still balance your lineups and maybe in the other low-owned spots, use your approach of, well, this player is projected for 1% ownership and projects to a pretty close to a, a you know projection that you want in your lineups. I'm not saying that you should completely throw out the projections for you know multiple players in your lineup. I'm saying that in lineups that have James Cook, I mean, you, you can have lineups where you have James Cook as one of your players who you know, isn't going to get a lot of ownership. If you think that his range of outcomes and his likelihood of hitting that ceiling outcome is higher than other players, which obviously was wrong this week, but... Uh, you you would have to increase his projection by 3x to even get there, to even get close to... Like, that. that's the... We're arguing the, the scope. I I, I, yes. I agree what you're saying. I believe, like, at this... That he was at the level where you could have found... Other, like even if you gave James Cook fifty percent of the snaps, he still doesn't project higher than some other players that are less than one percent owned. Like that's the point that I like. Like I'm, Which I'm always using a football yes. take. Yeah, and, and and that is why I did not play James Cook because I saw that same thing. I was like, he doesn't project that well. Even if I double his ownership, he doesn't project or his his uh, projection it doesn't project that well. So I didn't play him. But I I made that call last year with Michael Hasty. I made a similar call. So and maybe maybe you're right. Maybe it was. It was probably the wrong call with Michael Hasty. Uh, it's un- it's not right. I, I want to be clear. It's not wrong or right. I'm just saying it's unnecessary. Sure. Like yeah, if you're going to be if you're going to be like I'm going to play DFS and I'm going to focus on where the projections are so horribly wrong that I'm going to just change everything. It's like you don't you you don't need to do like find a five percent on player that you're like I think he has a a three point higher seal. Okay, fine. At least you're starting off from some like you don't need to find like you have tons of people out there that think that, oh, in order to win the milli, I need to have like four 1% own lineup. It's like, like, dude, look at the, look at the milli. I mean, look at, look, I mean, look at the winners of the lineups. You look at the lineup and you go, I, you, you look at some of the milli winning lineups outside of some really outlier scenarios where a lot of the truck fails, like the weird, the weird weeks. Mm-hmm. You could look at most weeks. You take a look at hoops lineup. It's not, there's no weirdness in there. And it's not like even some of the pieces are high owned. Some of the pieces are lo- like, tell me, it's like, you look at that lineup and go, you know, what would have been, been so much better if I would have just played a lot of 0.1% owned players. It's like, you know, it's unnecessary. Like it's, it's sure. to the point in which even if you thought, let's say I tripled my projection on James Cook, I still didn't need him. Like I like even then, like, so like why why unless it's unless it's unless you have insider information that it's like the backup running back that normally has seen fifteen percent of snaps is going to walk in with with the other two running backs active and play ninety percent of snaps and you're the only fucking person that knows that and his projection really should be like eighteen points and not three. Bravo to you. Bravo, Mr. Insider Information. I Then I get that. I get it completely. But when you have so many other... It's the, it's the options. If it's a showdown slate, go for it. Yeah. Two-game yeah. slate. If it's Thanksgiving, this was a Thanksgiving slate. Fucking go. How many other options are there? Like, they're just like, you can't find any other options. There's yeah. no one that's going to be 0.1% on, on, on a fucking Thanksgiving slate, right? Other than people that aren't even playing. Even they're going to be on, right? Someone's going to be injured, and then they're going to... You're not going to find someone that's underneath the injured. Like, dude, Amon Ross St. Brown was 0.1% owned on yesterday's slate. Okay? Right? So, like, what what are you doing? Like, I'm arguing I agree with you. 
in concept, but in practicality, I just think it's unnecessary. It's like, if you're focused on those things, you're not focusing, you don't, you don't have to win that. Like, you, like that's. No, you don't have to win that way. Right. I agree. Right. You, you have to win by, uh, yeah, yeah. You, that hard stand on that, that, that Panthers Cardinals. Because I was going to ask you if that was a late swap. No, that was that was going into it. I made that decision. I was like, I, I just thought the Cardinals defense is so bad. I mean, it, it was the same kind of situation as uh, Seattle versus Detroit. It was two bad offenses against two bad defenses. It was kind of, and I was like, well, if a lot of people are going to be playing Seattle, Detroit. Nobody's playing this Cardinals Panthers game. I think this game is, you know, actually better offenses. I mean, even if Baker Mayfield's not good, he has DJ Moore. He's got Robbie Anderson. He's got Christian McCaffrey. A lot of ways to split up those decks. And then obviously Kyler, I think, actually is good in general. Uh, and he's got Marquise Brown and Zach Ertz and Greg Dortch or Rondell Moore. And I thought there were options there. So I just thought this is a game that actually has better offensive pieces against uh, the Cardinals. Past events has been atrocious. Uh, the Panthers have been a little bit better defensively. But in general, I thought it had at least as much opportunity, if not more, to, to completely go off at much lower ownership. Yeah, you can stack any game. I'm not I'm not I'm not questioning the stat. I'm just you had a lot of it. Just a shortly had yeah. right. But I mean, but look, I I'm 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 saying this when when I sixteen percent of my lineups had Steelers stacks. Right. Right. So like I you could be looking at me going like why why'd you do that? Because I, I I Alex had had a bunch of those and, and, and Adam had a bunch of those also. So when yeah. I look at, when I look at other people, I'm like, okay, okay. So, so th- these guys burn these lineups also. Like these guys went, went, I thought about burning some of those. Right. I don't think I actually did, but I definitely thought about it. Right. I because mean, you the, know, the, that, the receivers all projected so well. It right. Was like the, that was the, the point. Receivers, the receivers look great. So it was like, well then just put the quarterback in there at no ownership. And yeah, I understand those stacks for sure. Right. That that was that was the that was the reason. And then, then Moore and Wilson didn't project horribly or anything like that. So it's like, okay, they could break one. It's the Steelers and Jets and whatever. And but I could get that like if you decided that for the Panthers Cardinals game, you know, went off the board, that's perfectly fine. Me, I just I I was focused more on the the higher priced. I mean, yeah, Kyler Murray was a higher priced uh quarterback, but just that that the whole the whole uh oh the this totals coming down the weather and the the fill any time more times than not, more times than not, this is what ends up happening. Okay, there's some weather forecast on Thursday or Friday where it's like it's probably going to be raining, maybe some wind, and then people are like, I don't know, I don't know, and then you see the total go down a point or two, right? Because it should, it, uh, the median should it should go down, right? And mm-hmm. then by Friday and Saturday, by Saturday, people are like, I don't know about playing. Then people are deciding not to play best values in cash games even. Like, should I even be playing Josh Allen in cash? Should I even be, but like, like, and, and people get over and then Sunday morning comes and it's like, like the wind, the weather report, it's, it's a heavy rain at times, 15 mile an hour wind. And people are like, I, they're running to, to get Jalen Hurts out of their lineups. They're running to like, oh, I can't play digs anymore and stuff like that. And then this is what ends up happening, Neil. This is, we're all just going by weather reports. And then you turn on the red zone and they show the game being played and you can't even notice that there is any goddamn rain, yeah. right? You could, once they zoom in, you could hear, like you could see like the pitter patter of light rain or whatever. And then you look at the play and then you see Jalen Hurts throw a 28 yard pass perfectly to Devonta Smith. And you go, why the fuck did I fade this game? Like, like, yeah. you know how many times that happened? You look and you go, whatever. And then, then sometimes you, I remember that the, the bills, I think it was a bills Colts game. I don't know if you, this was like three or four years ago. 
It was a snow game. Uh, this is when uh, M- McCoy was on the Bills. Mm-hmm. McCoy was on the Bills, and I think Frank Gore was on the Colts. Okay. The game, like they called for snow, like snow, snow, snow. It's snowing during the game, whatever. You, the game turned on. You couldn't even see the fucking field. Like they couldn't even clear the field. It was snowing so hard that yeah. the you couldn't even see the yard markers. They the game was essentially it was I think it was a seven set ten seven game something like that. The no one could run. It was it was essentially uh, three yard runs. Like yeah. every every play I mean, do, for do both. You remember the the Patriots game from I think last year where Belichick just was like, yeah, we're just not going to throw the ball this game. They right, rushed it every single time. Yeah, it can't happen that way. Right. But due to weather, I mean, weather-wise, it's like that's a game where it's like, yes, probably the, the those those passing stacks aren't going to work out for you. But yeah. a lot of times, like people look at the, the weather reports and they really, number one, anything in the weather like that is going to be reflected in the team total, yeah. right? And then, yes, it lowers the probability, but does it lower the probability enough in comparison to ownership? So, like, my attitude was is that I knew that the Eagles team total was going down, but I thought the ownership was going down quicker than the, the team, than, than even that was going down. So, like, I, I'm I'm just going to, I'm, 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 I'm playing more of this, right? And that's why even with the Josh, like, I think the Buffalo-Baltimore game got lowered because of that as well, right? Well, that explains why my stacks didn't work out. Why? Because there was bad weather. Yeah, but it, but it, it wasn't because of the weather. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, I, right. I, I, no. But you agree with me. You turn on red zone and you go, why, why were everyone concerned about this? What's going on? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's happened. Yeah. Right. The Bears-Giants game didn't, I don't care about the weather. These are just two bad teams that have a 39 total. Get, I don't, dude, you could, it's going to be 80 degrees and sunny. It doesn't matter. Like you're, yeah. Like the Bears are going to throw the ball 13 the ball anyway. times. Yeah. Like, Nobody cares. Anything else that we, we could learn? I mean, do we, do we want to talk about uh, Lowell's at all? The uh, the kid coming on and saying, "Oh, oh yeah, process? I forgot." Okay, let's 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 cl- let's end with with that. With uh, right. the so so you you recap. Yeah, I told you thought. So are we are we going to shut this thing down? All right. So, so no no no, we're not going to shut it down. Now we'll talk for as long as you want. Okay, but I'm all I'm saying. No, so are we going to shut down this show because we're giving away too much edge? Oh, we're no, giving away our edge by playing the shows. Oh, so so you re- it, recap. It I was it, making it, a joke. I'll, I'll do a recap. Yeah. So okay. Good. Okay. So Lowell's had on uh, a special guest this week. I want to say his username on Twitter is like Log Lost or something. I forget what it is exactly. Uh, but he he just won the the golf final on DraftKings, I believe. So he, he just won a million dollars. Uh, and they have guests on. If you if you win a million dollars, you can come on. He sounds like a sharp player to me, just based on that interaction. He sounded like he you know knows what he's doing. Um, but he was basically saying that he thinks that it is a mistake for people to do these types of shows where you're talking too much um, strategy and I think process really process. He was more concerned because, about because he, process than strategy. yeah, yeah. So right. So he was he used Nerdy Tenor as an example of somebody who talks too much about his process, and uh, he thinks that. You know, these days there are a lot of players who are capable of actually like replicating what Nerdy Tenor does, which I've always been of the opinion, especially with guys like Nerdy Tenor or Brick, you know, well, you can tell us your entire process and none of us are going to be able to do it anyway. Uh, this this kid had, I call him a kid, I shouldn't call him a kid, he's probably like 25. This person, uh, this guy had a, a different opinion that, you know, that a lot of people have the skills to 
do the things that they're doing right now. And that he even said that he thinks it's condescending how often people say, well, I can, you know, give away my process. Nobody can do it anyway. Um, and so he was saying he doesn't think that shows that people should be willing to, that pros who are, you know, profitable DFS players should be willing to share so much of their process uh, because he thinks that the edges are really thin and, you know, you're giving away your thin edge. Is that a pretty good recap of yeah, the conversation? I, I think pretty so. But I mean, I, I, I think... I think when you when you 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 deal with people longer in life, I don't want to be one of these guys because I I used to be the kid, I used to I used to be the young one in everything that I did. I used to be, you know, the kids that and people would say it's like, oh yeah, I don't have enough life experience to know what reality is. But I'm gonna be I'm gonna be the I'm gonna be the 43 year old guy now saying the same thing. Uh, it's it's like the reverse Dunning Kruger effect, right? And I and I succumb to that as well. I mean, in, in a different, in a different fashion, like I believe like the way that I learn is through immersion, mm -hmm. right? I get immersed in something. So like, to me, it's like, why wouldn't you watch 400 hours of video? Like why, right. what, what, why wouldn't you like, why, like, it's not that hard, right? Just watch 400 hours of my shows. Just watch, just right. watch everything. Go back to 2015 and watch Bales. Go and what, and read everything. Uh, why aren't you reading 40 books a week? Like, why aren't, I mean, that's what I do, right? I mean, like, like that, it, to me, it reeks of that type of mentality of like, right. for him, he's the type of person that's like, I could, once I know that the process, it's like, I'll teach myself Python. I'll teach myself like, like I'll teach myself all of this. And then I'm, I'm going to be able to do what, what the process and what they do to implement all these strategic aspects more precisely. What I do, mm -hmm. I'm doing the same thing as what Brian does and what Alex, I'm doing the same, I'm trying to do it without programming. Of course, it's not going to be anywhere near as accurate right. and it's going to be less expected value, but still the games are beatable enough that I could do it bluntly, that you could do it. Like you're doing the right. similar type of process as, 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 and so many people do do that. Like the amount of quote pros, if you want to call it like, or profitable DFS players are doing it without the use of that type of it. They're, they're strategically, they're doing the same things, but mm -hmm. as far as the process is concerned, they're doing it a lot more manually, a lot more bluntly. And the games are still soft enough that you could get away with it. Once they get to the point where the blunt methodologies don't work, I, I wouldn't even play DFS. I'd, it, the rake would eat everyone at that point because even even the, even the people that do it like Nerny Tenor would would find it impossible to win with the fifteen percent rake or whatever. So like my yeah. at my attitude there is that that not the amount of people that are like, well, I'm going to Google like this and then learn it. Like is like, dude, I. I've been teaching this stuff. I, I, it's, it's not like I'm not, no, I'm not no spring chicken. I've dealt with people, right? I've dealt with people right. and, and like, dude, people that buy the theory of DFS that get the Excel tools that watch the DFS pregame show every day, every day, and then like for a year and then come back and go like I, I still haven't had success or whatever. It's like, well, have you watched this and watch and they, and I and uh, what are the, what are the top questions you want to ask me? And then the three questions I ask me are like how. How did you not learn this in a year? I mean, like, I'm yeah. going to explain it the same way they, I would in the course. Like, how how do you not get this, right? And they just they just don't get it or they're unwilling to 
They're unwilling to learn. They're unwilling to, ch to change their worldviews. And that's mm -hmm. why I say that 95 plus percent of people, I get Brian, to me, Brian's argument that on Lowell's, I've always agreed with, where I he wishes that people did not give out any type of strategy advice. He, pre he prefers the touts that are like, pick this guy and pick that guy, right? Yeah. And I don't want anyone to give out any strategy whatsoever because he doesn't want a monster. Yeah. Right? He doesn't want someone that's a, a new 150-er, a new one in high stakes that actually plays well and plays as well as he does. And at that level, I, I get it. I'm not, I don't play at that level, so I don't give a fuck about, like, my goals aren't, I try to make the most amount of money, no matter what the risk type of, th I, I, I don't. Yeah. I, I consider myself a mid-stakes player, and I'm perfectly, I, I, I'm living the dream. I get to do yeah. this every, I, I, dude, I'm, I'm, I'm maximizing for the, for the less, least risk of ruin, and still, and still, if you take a look at how much I play, most normal people would look at me like I'm a fucking like fucking daredevil, right? Yeah. To have I have eleven thousand dollars in play yesterday in DFS and six thousand in props. People would be look like, isn't that isn't that risky? It's like no, but I have an edge on all of this, and of course I'm not going to lose all of it in one day and everything. And it's only it's in total it's only like five for less than five percent of my bankroll. So if I have a right. really bad day, okay. I still got 95%. I mean, like, I still got, I mean, so the point is, is that, like, how many, how many people are, I've experienced this. And, and there are people, there, dude, there are people that are killing it now at, at 150 that learned that, I don't want to back, pat myself on the back, but that have learned from me, right? Yeah. There are, or, or piece, bits and pieces of like, I listened to your course and, they were already a good player and they're like something, something in, in your course, that chapter, no one's really explained it that way, but it sparked something like this. And I programmed like this. And now like, like dude, like that concept changed my entire profitability. And to Brian, that's, that's death because he doesn't want those players in his contest, but I'm looking for the worst players. Like yeah. th those worst players, they look at me and they think I'm the idiot, right? They're right. like, right? So like, what What the fuck am I worried about? Fine, here's all yeah. the shit. Here's all the shit I do. Here's my entire, I, I'm on the DFS pregame show going, I'm just going to build my 20 baseball lineups and I'm going to show you literally exactly what I do. I'm going to build my MMA lineups on Friday and show you literally exactly what I do. And you know what? 95% of people look at that and go, hmm, I'm still, I don't. I still don't think so-and-so is a good fighter, so I'm not going to play. I'm like, like yeah. they still do that. So how, yeah. other than those monsters every once in a while, they don't, they don't, they no, people don't, dude, people don't check the goddamn starting lineups on people that pay for it. That like, oh, Listen, so and so. Play, definitely like, high stakes. I think that you and I are less concerned. I think that Brick has said in particular that he's more concerned about the high stakes. Like he's, he's right. concerned about creating a high stakes monster more so than like a 150 maxer in the large field stuff because the high stakes can, you know, the, the edge is smaller and you can... Uh, get rid of it pretty quickly. Whereas in a large field GPP, you're going to get a lot more bad players. Like regardless, there's always going to be people who just are not going to put in the work. So I understand the, the concern for a high stakes player, but um, but there's also, I think, more more to it than just trying to maximize every edge you have. I think that, you know, there's the human element of, uh, I started I started talking about my process and now I get to do 
a job that I love instead of a job that I hate that I used to have. So I think there are a lot of a lot of reasons that people are willing to talk about their their process. Right, but he was but 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 uh, what was his name? What, what, what I forgot his name. Ben. Ben. That was his yep. name. Uh, he at least admitted that, like, well, if if you're going to talk about your process and you monetize it, like he 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 said, now at least his 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 conundrum in his head is. Why would you talk about the process that you have an edge on to make money for no money for, for like for for nothing for like right. at least at least if it's like he's like well at least if you're if you're getting paid and you believe like if 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 you're creating it's like okay I have this process that is is profitable uh and uh I'm going to sell it to you for $2500 a pop it's like well now that you have to buy he under he said it's like zero variance income like he can, he, at least he understands that. He just doesn't understand. Like, why would you talk about it freely for no money for anything like that? And, and, and Brian made the, and Brian made the point that I agree with also said, if you don't, someone else will, I mean, it's like, it's like, right. it's not, this is like poker, right? And if you grew up on poker since 2003, since the boom, even, and you, some would say even before that, that, the difference between 2003 poker, 2008 poker, 2013 poker and two, and current poker, it's gone it's 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 the it's people sharing strategy, people sharing stuff. It to that you look back at some of the stuff that that people said in 2003, it would beat the games in 2003 but won't beat the games now because people learn better, right? And and had yeah. better tools and everything like that. No one like the information's coming out. It's like, like, and depending on the games that you're playing, it will matter more or less. So, like, like I could, you could take the two plus two books that were written in the nineties. Okay, theory of poker, right? Even Harrington on Hold'em, which is the, the early two thousands. You could t- you could read those books. Ed Miller's Small Stakes No Limit Hold'em. You could read those books. You could go to your local card room and you could be a profitable player. Like, and it's, and these, these books are 20 years old. Now, if you, if you look at the current works, like if you're going to be playing online poker at like five, 10, no limit and above, and you're using like 2003 poker, poker concepts, you're going to get fucking destroyed, right? Cause the average player at that table is going to be way, be- way, way better and they're going to play much more, much more balanced than people did in 2003. But the thing is, is that if you're playing one, two, no limit, two, five, no limit, if you're playing the, the lower stakes, no limit games or whatever poker games you're playing, even limit hold them 1530 or something like that at your local card room, the average player has, has gotten a little bit better. It has, it, it, it actually has, but it's, dude, they have glaring holes and all, and everyone has glaring holes that it's easy to exploit. So I get what Ben is saying that like, why would, what, like, yeah, well now we, we want four more of these guys and five more of these guys. Does that real, but I like, I, even then, does that really even have, like, how much does that even happen? I don't know. I, I will say since I started, uh, talking my process I've had the worst year my first my first <laughs> season where I'm down in a year in like five years so so maybe there's maybe I'm there are too many people who are seeing what I'm doing and trying to you know do kind of a similar thing and it's 
minimize my edge, but I, I kind of, I don't think that's the case. I think that I've just had some bad variants this year relative to past years. So um, it's not something that I'm majorly concerned about, but yeah, I, I can see the point that he's making. I don't think that it's a wrong point necessarily, but I think that there are a lot of different motivations that people have for sharing their process, even, even beyond money. I think there's community and people just like to, you know, have community. They like to have friends. They like to talk about DFS. I think that there's, there's a lot to it. Right. And, but, and, on, and under the guys that maybe they, maybe Ben doesn't believe, but he, he would have to understand that other people believe that like Daniel Hutchings, nerdy Tanner is like, mm-hmm. I'm going to talk about my algorithm and machine learning and all that type of stuff. And I don't think anyone else could do could could I don't think I don't think many if any can do it at all and the mm-hmm. ones that have some amount of ability can't do it nearly as good as I can well he's also said that he when people ask him specific enough questions nerdy tenor does not share does not give answers if, you, if you're asking the good questions about like how exactly do you do this he won't answer it so like right. he doesn't share all of yeah but questions. Ben also but but the, the point that Ben's making is that the questions that those questions like you could figure out how to program. Like he's like, you could learn how to do that. But what nerdy what nerdy tenor says is that, and in in the interview that he did with me and some other shows with you is that mm. he it's it's and and good players do talk like this. His methodology is not the is not the best methodology. It's right. just the seventh iteration of the thing that worked better than the first one. Right. Like it's like it's the it's the it's the least incorrect one, but it isn't the best one. So he had to learn. It's like I'm going to program and use and and use this the first time and then run tests. Like that's why it was so he didn't just jump into DFS. He's like, I'm going to do it for very low money just to see if this works and back test. And once he saw that, he's like, okay, now I'm going to jump in. And then it's like, well, I have to correct this thing. And then it's like, okay, based on testing. I have to iterate and I have to solve this problem. It's like, I'm constantly getting X and I need to solve it. And he tries to solve it one way. And then he tries to solve it a second way. And then he tries to solve it a third, like, and he's spending all the time trying to solve this. And then he's like, okay, I think I got the problem solved enough. And now that's the second iteration. And then there, another problem comes up that it's like, okay, I could get it more accurate. I just have to solve this problem. And then he spends six months trying to solve this and then finally, I got it. I finally figured out how to fix and do this, and now it's better. Those are the questions. He's like, I don't want to get people the heads up. The thing that took me four months to figure out how to right. do, I'm, someone's going to ask me that. Like, that's what he says. If someone is asking that question of, like, the thing that I figure out how to do in programming that they haven't figured out yet, I'm not going to tell you that because it took me four months. You, he's, He'll admit You'll be able to figure it out if you if you spend the time to do it, but I'm right. not gonna I'm not gonna make you make you better like you. It's figure outable. You obviously could tell if you're asking me that I must have figured it out to some extent, and now you're right. asking me about it, and I'm not gonna tell you that. But as far as like like if you have a question about like basic b- basic syntax in Python or something, he'll, he'll answer like right. like you could go, you could you could take a Python course, you could take an R course, you could take you know answer questions about like, like, can you please explain to me what a normal distribution is? Like, right. Like what's the harm in any of that? I don't think, and I don't even think Ben has, has an issue with that. It's more of the, 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 the coding aspect. And I just, I really think that he vastly overestimates 
Like, look, look at me. Look at you. We're not dumb people, right? Mm -hmm. We come from backgrounds that are math and science in origin, right? To some extent, maybe not you. Well, you're a lawyer. Yeah, I, I don't like really, that, yeah, right? Right. I, at least me. Yeah. Like you have a logic at lawyer. You need some yes. form of logic, right? Yeah. Like I come from, I like, dude, I did web development. So it's not like I'm not like, I don't know code or whatever. Like I got around like, but not that type of code. I'm coding in, in JavaScript and in Perl back in the day. And Perl, I guess could be someone imagine if, if I would have tried to do this in Perl, it would be fucking, it would be, you would never want to do it. Uh, and I, and I haven't coded in Perl in fucking 22 years. So like I would have to pretty much relearn it. Uh, like I could, I could learn, I, I could spend the time to learn. The difference is that my learning method, my learning, I, I'm an immersive learner. Okay. Mm -hmm. So if I were, if you told me, I want you to learn Python inside and out, I, at least I have an application to, to base it on. Cause I don't, I don't like learning based on like, like toy problems and like, no, I need to have a purpose of, I'll learn what I need to know to do the thing that I need to do type of thing. Mm -hmm. But in order for me to learn that, I'll have to like go away for like four to six months. Like, just like, like, dude, I'm just going to wake up in eight hours a day, 10 hours a day, Python, 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 like just, just nothing else and program and program and make mistakes and trial and error and whatever. Like, and you won't hear from me for, because I wouldn't be able to go from one thing to another thing to another thing. So it's a matter of, do I want to take six months off to really learn how to code in Python or R because I can't do it period. I, I'm not, I can't do it. I'm going to learn a little today and then I'll learn a little tomorrow and then put it off for two weeks. It's like, no, I'm, I'm going to be ordering Amazon and I'm going to have like a stack of books and, and I'm going to watch before I even touch the keyboard. I've probably watched 80 hours worth of videos on basic Python programming before I've even, even attempted anything. So it's like, mm -hmm. What's the edge in doing that versus just playing blunt methodology stuff with proper strategy for six? Like, I, I, I don't see the edge enough in it that it's worth it to do that because I'm, I, if I try to learn two hours a day, every day, I, I just, I can't learn. I can't learn that way. I need to learn. That's why uh, in, in school, I would always, I was, that's why I dropped out of high school. Like, Dude, I don't want to come in an hour a day and learn this. This is fucking yeah. pointless. Like, dude, where's the textbook? It's like, oh, it's a, but it's a 600-page textbook. It's like, uh, when's the final? He said, well, typically the final's at the end of the semester. He said, give me the final next week. And then let me just read this. I'll, I'll, I'm going to read this and only spend my 60 hours of the next 60 to 80 hours on just this book. Then you give me the final, and then do I ever have to show up again? Should I never, like, I want that to be the class. Right. Yeah. And once they say, no, we can't do that. You actually have to show up every day. I'm like, I, I'm done with this. Get the fuck yeah. out of here. One, one hour with different classes. Like I'd, I'd even be fine with like, let's just go to math class and for eight hours every today day. on Monday yeah. and then social studies eight out like that. I could even deal with, but the whole fragmented shit and the aim on this, get the fuck out. Just give me the goddamn, you have an instructional video. Yeah. All your lectures. Do you, do you have recorded all your lectures? For the entire, then fine. Then give me the recording. I'll, I'll, I'll see you in four months. Right? Like, and then I'll learn on my, and then I'll just probably binge watch this like Netflix for a yeah. week and then fucking take, like, that's how I, so I think Ben learns a different way. Learn, 
his learning methodology is like, well, why can't you do it? In the same way that I, but look, look what I described. Some people would look at what I just said and go, Jesus Christ, I couldn't imagine possibly learning that way and right. spending 16 hours a day, seven days a week for four, for, for, for six weeks and then mastering something like, 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 but I have a life, but I would, it's like, I don't have a life. Like, that's how I, that's, that's, that's what yeah. I, that, that it, dude, the, the reason I can't have a real job is because that's how I take things. And if I had to spend eight hours a day in an office doing something I didn't want to do, I'd never be able to immerse myself in something I actually cared about. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, so ultimately to me, I think Ben is uh, maybe over, I don't even know if he is overestimating how many people out there are as smart and motivated as he himself is. Cause I'm sure he seems like he's a sharp guy. Like he could probably learn from like what nerdy tenor is saying. I think that most people cannot, but he also, it also might be a more valid concern if he is playing high stakes where it just takes one person to be like that, to do it or, or a couple people actually learning um, from what people are saying about their process. Maybe, maybe it's a bigger concern at high stakes than it is for large field GPPs just because it's a different level of player. Or even low stakes cash games. Sure. Even yeah. any, I mean, like it really, it's, it's all in relation to the skill of your opponents. And I still study CSVs every day and I can still look in the large field. Dude, I'm, I, I don't even, I almost don't even bother looking at the millie anymore because I see no, I, see, I almost see no, I, dude, I could, I could, I could, I could iron out like 20% of lineups that like the rake is paid. I mean, like, it's just, thank yeah. you for entering. And then I could, I could just also eliminate another 20% of lineups that like, okay, these lineups have like almost no shot at first place, right? So like, what's their equity? So that's like, that's gone. At the smaller, at the, at the smaller field stuff, the, it's, it's much, it's much, it's much different. Yeah. So that, so I can understand that if you're playing the like 88 man luxury box, $1,500 NBA or something like that, whatever the fuck it would be for that day, one or two people like, in place of two uh, of one or two rando whales could, could mean like uh, several percentage points on your, I mean, like yeah, they're eating up that first place equity. Cause they know how, they know how to build good enough lineups with enough leverage that it, it, it may matter some, but in a 236,000 contest with the Millie, like it doesn't matter. Yes. It actually, I'm not saying it matters zero, but the, the effect of it, does, does it matters more in the slant? Truthfully, uh, the slant is mm-hmm. not that they, they lowered the amount of entries. You had a lot of one fifties showdown. I get it. The more the more one fifty verse that come in. That's why you know, you know when when the one if, if you want if you want to share the prize with you and your best buds, like that's fine with me. That's that's that. But I I think P, I that way that was another thing that went on on Twitter, right? The fucking. Uh, yeah. The, the dupe crew and the unique the dupe like, crew right and yeah. it's 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 all marketing come on let, let let's just oh, yeah. let's, I know. let's just let's just put let's just put it out there the yeah. beefs that the, most of the i would say 95 plus percent of beefs you see on twitter are either jokes or marketing okay oh, yeah i mean it's not like you see big t and brick going back and forth and that's right. definitely joking around right yeah big t is actually a nice guy i like big t yeah right i've met big t right so like what he it's I I get it. I get what I get it. 
I get what he does, and it's, I and I enjoy it. It, would, it. it wouldn't be it wouldn't be Twitter without without, of course, yeah, you exactly. know, when when the thirty six way dupe with all Rumpure Sports logos wins, it's going to be screenshots galore, and the, and the, how about what the astrology dupe crew and like I, I it makes life Hashtag on Twitter enjoyable. Yeah, right. So that that's perfectly fine, but there's a balance between the two, right? There's still I I I there are some people that enter one fifty in showdown. That play lineups that yeah yes you ha- yes you're right you have 126 uniques and I look at these lineups and I go what the fuck are you doing right and then there are people that play 150 lineups that have no uniques and no under fives and I go what the fuck are you doing right like just like what right like right and then there are people in the middle and then some people go like if you take a look at my showdown stuff I'll typically play like 50 to 75 lineups. Out of my 50, I'll have like 42 under fives and five yeah. uniques. And it's yeah. like, I I believe, I believe, based on what I've run, that the overall lineups to maximize for, for uh, profit and minimize risk of ruin are the lineups that are two or three, two, three, four. Like if you could get lineups at two, three, four, five, like around there. Obviously, the bigger the the NFL ones, maybe you could you could survive six, sevens, and eights. Right. If it's stuff like that. I'm aiming yeah. for definitely for under tens. But yeah. for the most part, if you're if you're if all if you have no uniques and you have like fifty out of fifty lineups that are like two, three, fours, I think to me that's that that is from a I mean, upside versus else downside. Thought that that lineup was good enough to make two. You weren't the only one who thought that lineup was good enough right, to enter. Right. But I'm saying well once you once you get past there, then 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 you're in then you're in unprofitable territory. And, and especially the more lineups that you put in. So like if you're putting in 150 lineups and all of them are duped like 15 plus times, like you're you're you, you can't you you can't be profitable. Like you long term. Yeah. Right. If you ran a sim if you ran a sim of that, you know, and you simmed out a year's worth of of, of showdown slates three a week for 18 weeks, your chances of coming out like negative are like extreme. Like I'm talking about like 90 plus percent. Like, like you're, yeah. it's very, very unlikely because you're just never winning. You I mean, why not just play a, a quadruple up at a certain point? Like, or whatever. Right. In the long run. And then the people that, that, that go too far the other extent and play 150, like out of 54 slate sample size, like 80 plus percent of the time they lose like 80 plus percent of their, like they right. lose so much money. Right. Yeah. And then, and then what will end up happening is they'll have a, a, a 250 to thousand to a million dollar win once every like three or four years. Yeah. And then that'll make them profitable. Like, right. so do you want that, that extent of that? Or do you want something where it's like, Oh, I kind of win. Yes, I've chopped. Like I've chopped five times this year, and then at the end of the year, you're down four percent, right? Or you're right. up like two percent. Like, like right. yes, it's l- much less varied, but you're really you're. It's almost it's, you're never going to be profitable long term. You right. just you're never going to lose a ton of money either, but you're never going to be profitable long term. I want that in the middle of like I want to maximize where 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 that is, and that's why I play less lineups, right. especially on slates where there's less likely to be more unique combinations. Sure. Slates that have a lot more combinations that could be unique. I want to play more lineups. 
But it's like if I'm gonna run, yeah. if I'm gonna run into a lot of, a lot of under tens and not even under fives, I might as well only invest fifty entry fees into this than hundred and fifty entry fees into it. So yeah. I what? So I make more lineups that chop eight ways. I, 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 I'll just play less. But I'll, but I'll take a stance more. Like, like you know, I'll play Peyton Hendershot in forty-one percent of my lineups when I'm only playing fifty of them, but right. not necessarily when I'm playing hundred and fifty of them because, like, you, you could easily get a zero and those lineups could be dead. I asked uh, I asked Nerdy Tender in the comments, have you ever seen a lineup based on his ROI simulator? Have you ever seen or expected ROI simulator? Have you ever seen a lineup that's duped more than 100 times that uh, is po- positive EV? And he said that he has seen it once on FanDuel where it was like there was just no good lineups that were uh, not duplicated a lot. So there was one that was duplicated like 150 times that had positive ROI long term. Right. But but pretty much other than that, it's it's not. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Long term. But I do, from a practicality standpoint, pragmatically, if you're a one lineup, throw in 15 bucks type of type of person, if you're playing that lineup and you get a, you know, four grand or something. You're happy with that. Right. Right. How I I can't, I, it is negative EV. It's just that. It's still a negative EV lineup because it's going to lose long term. Right. But the fact is that your long term. Dude, like that covers all of your showdown lineups for the one lineup in every showdown for like the your next 10 years. Yeah. Right. So like you're, you're, it's still, hey, if you play for 20 years like that, you're most likely going to be down a little bit amount of money. Not a lot of money, but a little bit down of money. But over the course of a one season sample size, you're going to be, you're going to, you're going to be up. Right. Yeah. But once you start increasing the number of lineups that you're playing, now, now you're getting into, now you're getting to, you have to win a lot more often. Yep. Yep. Okay. So Neil at player Q DFS, uh, you're on, uh, on the contrary. You're on every, you're, it seems like I, 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 I put on the awesome, podcast feed and I'm always, I'm always surprised that it's like, okay, I'll listen to, Oh, Neil's on this also. Right. Yeah, it's I'm a, on it, a lot. It, it, it feels, it feels last week how much I'm on. Yeah. Right. It's like, Oh, it's law. Okay. Lawfee and Neil. Neil. Okay. Neil's on this also. And then it's like, yeah. oh, and and oh, and we have the blah blah blah, and and it's and it's Neil Orfield. And I'm like, like, did people just they don't they don't want to do shows or something? I'm assuming what's I mean, basket what's basketball comes around, I'll hear Adam a lot more often. If you're listening to basketball shows, yeah, I, right. I would. So I think that both Adam and Josh don't they're doing love baseball doing NFL content. They 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 do NFL content, but it's not their favorite sport to do. They like doing. I think basketball is their favorite. So mm. yeah, you'll you'll hear a lot more from them. I think for basketball, I don't know what my role will be, if any, in the basketball content. I've heard that I'm going to be doing it, but I haven't uh, heard anything specific. So we'll see. And is it is it just me, or does Eric and Josh sound the same? Yeah, I guess I've never I've never thought about how they sound the same, but I guess I can kind of. Sort of hear it. Greg doesn't. Greg, exactly. is slight, Greg is slightly different. They're all three yeah. basic white guys, right? Sure. So basic I'm not even. I'm, I'm just. Are we? Are we not all basic white guys? No, but they're really basic white guys, <laughs> right? You have okay. a beard, you have glasses, whatever. But I mean, like, if you sure, just sure. threw them out and you just said, "Take a look, take a take a look at the host of this show," and he'd be like, "I can't tell the difference between the three, other than one wears a backwards hat and someone doesn't wear a backwards hat, and this one." Is, Greg never wears a hat. Right. Never wears a hat. Right. Never wears a hat. But as far as I, since I, I don't watch the shows, I listen to the shows. Interesting. Okay. So a lot of times it's like, oh, it's, oh, it's Josh. It's, it's Josh and whoever. And it's like, no, oh, that's Eric. Right. It's like, oh, and then like, 
I could tell. I, I could always tell it's Josh within like two or three minutes based on his the phrasing that he uses. I'm like, okay, that that is that that is Josh. He's calling people idiots in chat usually. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, that's that's pretty much how I could tell. Right. Yeah. Uh, Greg Greg is a lot more nicer to the people in chat, and Eric Eric just kind of like plays it down the middle. Right. Yeah. Adam, you could always tell, and no, no, yeah. and no, Lofty. You could always there's no there's Lofty's no mistake. Lofty's got the best voice in the industry, right? There's no that did the first first time I heard Lofty. This was on Fantasy Insiders, mm-hmm. right? So this is before Fan Vice even. Uh, I was like, I because I, I was just like 2015, 2016. So I was just even I was just playing soccer DFS, but I was listening because Fantasy Insiders uh, Slack had the soccer stuff. Luis was there, okay, and like yeah. Davis was there. I mean, it's this is seven years ago. Uh, then I heard the Fantasy Insiders show or something. It's like, dude, this this sounds like some sixty three year old guy that's been smoking for forty years, right? That's what that's what he's that's what he sounds like. He sounds like just a, an old man. And then I look and I'm like, no, it's some like twenty seven year old guy. Like, what the, yeah, like what the fuck? He's I got a great tell. voice for radio, though. I mean, yeah, he's got a smoker's voice, but like it works, right? And then there are plenty of people that hate my voice. Well, that's because you're yelling at them. <laughs> Do I have a do I have a good voice? I think you've got a pretty I think you've got a good entertainment voice, just in right. general. Yeah. I'm not necessarily the best host though. Well. Depends on what you want from your host, I guess. Right. Uh, so because that, that the number the number one complaint is you talk too much. You talk a lot. I mean that's it's true. <laughs> you you talk a lot, but that's uh it's usually I think that's what people are here for. I, I try I tried. I, I put in the effort when you brought up the lulls thing, I'm like you, I listened to Lull, so I could have said everything. Yeah. I was like, you, yeah. you recap it, and I'll let you go. Like, as long as you see that, as long as the, the other person with me is similar and just like, I doesn't mind talking for three to four minutes straight, I'm perfectly yeah. fine letting the other yeah. person talk. It's just that when you start pausing, I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm you're going to jump in. Yeah, you're I'm ready. Jump in there, right? Right. I was yeah. on the Gilcast, Davis could talk. Whenever I'm on the take yeah. cast, Davis gets his words in. No problem. I'm sure. Right? Tambo, yeah. when I did shows on RG with Tambo, Tambo's on another one. Talks just as fast as I do. Mangone. Right? Yeah. I could have shows with those two. Me and Travis could have shows all the time because he, he he could say 18 minutes worth of just things in two back minutes. And forth. Yeah, right. Oh, and then yeah. he could go back and forth and, 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 and then cut and knew exactly where to cut me off and go, like, well, how about this? And then I go, and then and then. Right? Those are the people. And people are like, yeah, well, get out of here. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Player Q DFS on Twitter, on Blender HD, on Twitter as usual. The Advanced Course, Theory of Daily Fantasy Sports for Advanced Players. It's out now with the Excel tools that get updated. James has been updating them. So uh, so go pick that up. At theoryofdfs.com.